saving money when you start your next project today at Menards. Check out our great selection of garage and utility lighting options in stock, ready to take home today. We carry everything to help you illuminate whatever project you're working on. Shop garage and utility lighting products in store at your nearest Menards. You can also view all of our entire selection of lighting options today on Menards.com. Save big money at Menards. What is going on, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of Murph's Boston Sports Talk. I am your host, James Murphy, a.k.a. Murph, and thank you so much for joining me for episode number 101. Yes, today's episode 101 is the first episode on the other side of the triple digit, of the C-note, of the hundo, I don't know. Let's just keep thinking of crazy nicknames for 100, shall we? For a dollar, right? Because, you know, dollars one zero zero, whatever, <laughs> right? But thank you so much for everyone who watched the live stream and participated and joined. I really appreciate that. But we are on the other side of 100 now. We are at 101, so we must continue forward. But I do want to take a moment to be appreciative of 100 episodes as it's been truly a fantastic and humbling experience. With that being out of the way... Hopefully you had a fantastic weekend and stayed dried. I know a lot of people lost power, experienced some flooding. Uh, it was really tough this past weekend from a, a storm that I don't know if it went under the radar or if it just people didn't think it was going to be that serious. I, I had no idea that we were going to get this kind of weather, to be honest, but we did. Excuse me, but we did. And then Sunday was a beautiful, absolutely beautiful day and Honestly, it was nice to have a true fall feeling kind of a day because honestly, once it hit October or once it hit like this, uh, the, the autumnal equinox, it just got freezing cold and it felt like it was winter, but yesterday felt like a true winter day. So it was nice to see that. And you know, I do have this, I am starting this episode with all some sad news. Obviously, we all probably know at this point, on Saturday, October 30th, a uh, longtime Red Sox broadcaster and former player Jerry Remy passed away at the age of 68. He has been battling lung cancer for over a decade, and it's just it's tragic right tragic we found out about this sunday being yesterday and you know me i like to be happy i like to be chippy i like to be you know very energetic but there are times where you have to take a moment for a serious matter just talk about it in a serious you know connotation when david posternock lost his 6 day old son you know, obviously, you know, I wasn't all chippy and excited and energized, right? You know, because that was a serious moment. You know, I paid my respects 
talked about it for a brief time and then moved on. And I feel like, obviously, Remdog, being a part of the Red Sox organization, not only as a player for seven years, but as a commentator for almost three decades, right? Uh, 98, 08, 18, over three decades, because he started in uh, 1988. So I want to spend the first few minutes of today's episode talking about him and how much he meant to Red Sox Nation, the Red Sox organization, and just, like I said, reflect on a tremendous person, right? Everyone loved, loved him. Everybody liked him. You know, he's from Fall River. He was born in Fall River. He went to Somerset High School, so he's from that area. He was drafted in the 19th round of the 1970 MLB June Amateur Draft by the Washington Senators, and the uh, and then and then I didn't know this. The California he was then drafted again by the California Angels in the eighth round of the 1971 January Draft Secondary Phase from Roger Williams University, Bristol, Rhode Island. I didn't know that was a thing. So let me just kind of briefly explain that. He got drafted out of high school, probably didn't come to an agreement. He went to a year of college, helped his stock value, and then he got drafted in the eighth round by the California Angels. That is a thing. I did not know. I know that was I know that's a thing in basketball now. I didn't know it was in baseball. I know in baseball if you don't come to agreement, you go back to usually your college, like look at uh, Kumar Rocker he got drafted by the Mets, the 11th overall pick. They didn't come to an agreement. Now he's back at Vanderbilt. So it ha- it happens. You just don't hear about it all too often. And I guess Remy being in high school at the time, he was able to go to college, obviously. So good for him. And obviously, you know, became a, a 11 rounds better of a prospect. He was drafted by the California Angels. He spent the first three years of his career in well, his first three professional years in California with the Angels in 75, 76, and 77. He was then signed by the Red Sox in 78, where he made his first and only All-Star appearance. That year, he batted 278 with a 321 on-base percentage, 350 slugging, 671 on-base plus slugging. Also that year, he had 583 at-bats. He hit 162 balls, 24 doubles, 6 triples, 2 home runs, 44 RBIs, 30 stolen bases, 13 times which he caught stolen, 40 walks, all in 148 games. So Remdog, well-deserving of an all-star appearance that year. And he would play the rest of his career up until 1984 with the Boston Red Sox, where he did retire after 10 full seasons in Major League Baseball, three with the California Angels and seven with the Boston Red Sox. After that, in 1988, Remy became a broadcaster, became the color commentator for Nesson's Red Sox broadcast. Those that don't know, Nesson is where you can find the Red Sox and the Bruins. And Jerry Remy's been a the color guy, you know, with Sean McDonough, with Don Orsillo, lately with Dave O'Brien. It's, you know, he's been a part of this team for four decades, if you want to obviously consider his playing time. Quite frankly, I am 
surprised his number two wasn't retired already. I figured that it would have been retired at some point. Obviously, Alexander Bogarts wears the number now. Could we? I just I don't want the Red Sox to retire his number because he passed away. I want them to retire it because he deserves it. I mean, obviously on the field he wasn't the greatest of players, but it's not just that. It's the impact that he had with the team is why he is deserving to have his number retired. Look at Johnny Pesky, similar situation. A good player. Was he a great player? No. But it's what he did for the team and the impact he had for the team. I mean, yes, Pesky hit 307 in his career. But, I mean, he spent his almost entire, you know, post-career in the Red Sox organization. I mean, Johnny Pesky was with the Sox for 10 years. And then he was, like, in the dugout for a long period of time. He was in the dugout being a coach, assisting, giving wisdom, this and that. And in a similar way, you know, they respected Johnny Pesky. But in a similar way, I think they should do the same thing to Jerry Remy. Now, obviously, with Xander Bogarts wearing number two right now, it would be a little bit challenging. But I'm sure they could easily come to some form of agreement of sorts. Maybe they'll wait for Xander Bogarts to whether retire, leave, whatever it may be. That's a conversation for another day. But I, I just I think Jerry Remy's number should have been retired well before he passed away. And obviously, now that he's passed away, it'd be nice for the fan base to remember him forever with number two being, you know, hung up and never worn again. So, very difficult time in Red Sox Nation, New England, and all across baseball. Fox, last night during the World Series, took a moment. It was like in the sixth inning or the start of the seventh inning. They took a moment and be like, hey... Jerry Remy passed away, voice of the Red Sox, you know, baseball favorite and stuff like that. So that was very nice of Fox during the World Series to take, you know, 20 seconds out of their presentation of the game last night to remember Jerry Remy, which, I mean, a lot of people will know him for his baseball time. A lot of people will know him for his, you know, his broadcasting career. It's just when you're with the team for over 40 years, and you grew up in the area, like, you know, the emotional connection goes both ways, and it's deep both ways. Jerry Remy will be absolutely missed for his personality, his knowledge, his wisdom, his energy, and there will never be another Jerry Remy again. As great as Dennis Eckersley is doing in the booth with Dave O'Brien during Red Sox broadcasts, he's no Jerry Remy. I don't want him to be a Jerry Remy because I don't want anyone to be Jerry Remy. I want Eck to be Eck. But just know moving forward, with no Jerry Remy in the booth, it will be completely different. Now, I know he's missed some time, you know, battling cancer and stuff over, you know, his long, long battle with cancer. He's missed some time, but we always knew he was going to come back. And unfortunately, it's not coming back. So, I hate to start this episode very sad and upsetting. But I had to pay my respects and talk about Jerry Remy, who was a monumental figure 
in Red Sox Nation. He was inducted to the Hall of Fame, Red Sox Hall of Fame in 2006. He was elected as honorary president of Red Sox Nation in 2007, and he was inducted into the Massachusetts Broadcasters Hall of Fame in 2017. A career that a lot of people would love to have. You play the game you love for the team that you grew up loving, and then you became a broadcaster for the team that you grew up loving, the team that you played for, you know. It's just he will be immensely missed. And I hope that he can finally rest in peace, no longer having to battle with lung cancer. And I hope that his family can find peace and prosperity while they mourn the death of Jerry Remy. So that's going to be all I'm going to talk about Jerry Remy. If you just give me like five seconds to kind of change things up, because obviously I want to bring that energy back to this episode of, you know, all excitement and stuff. But just talking about that for 10 minutes or so, it's going to be a little bit challenging. So just kind of work with me as I talk about the Patriots. The energy will come. The energy will come. But just, you know, here we go. So the Patriots. Patriots beat the Chargers 27-24 to yesterday in Los Angeles at SoFi Stadium. Offense? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Mac Jones, 18 for 35. 218 yards, no touchdowns, no picks. Didn't play his best. It's going to happen. But he didn't lose us the game. He didn't put us in losing positions. And when needed to be executed, he executed winning plays. I mean, the Patriots were down early. They were down, what was it, 14-7 to at one point. And then it was like, I don't know. It was just a back-and-forth game. It was a really good back-and-forth game that was refreshing because the Chargers are proclaimed to be one of the best up-and-coming teams, one of the better younger teams in the league. Obviously, they have Justin Herbert, who is a budding face of the NFL. And the Red Sox, uh, Red Sox, see, I talked about this last week on Monday, how I will be talking about one team, and then I'll talk about another, but I'll still refer to them as the first team. But the Patriots were still able to do it. Defense gave up 24 points. But honestly, I'll take that 24 points because Herbert also went 18 for 35, 223 yards, two touchdowns, and two interceptions. I'll take that. I'll take that. Yeah, Keenan Allen had six receptions for 77 yards and a touchdown. Eckler had six for 60 as well. Also 11 for 64 on the ground with a touchdown. But that was it. But that was it. I mean, 24 points... You'll, 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 you know, you'd want to see that number a little bit lower, but all things considered, you can't complain at all about it. You cannot complain at all about it because you were able to slow down one of the best young quarterbacks in the league. You were able to predominantly slow down Austin Eckler, one of the best pass catching running backs in the league. Keenan Allen had a decent day, six for 77, a touchdown, like I said. Jared Cook was quiet. Mike Williams, who's been you know awesome this year, has been quiet. And you were really able to execute defensively. Offensively, the running game looked good. Harris had 23 carries, 80 yards, and a touchdown. I'll take that. 
Bolden, 4 for 26. Ramondre Stevenson, 8 for 25. Good to see him getting some playing time today. And then, you know, looking at the receivers, Aglor, 3 for 60. Bourne, 4 for 38. Myers, 4 for 37. Hunter Henry, 1 for 33. So, offensive production, a little lackluster. But like I said, but like I said, the job got done. No matter how you want to look at it. The job was done. And honestly, the MVP of that day was Nick Folk. 4 for 4 on field goals. 100% kicking accuracy as he hit a 48 long. And is uh, he had 13 total points that day. Absolute stud. Absolute stud that day. Obviously, it was a total team effort. Offense, defense, and special teams. It was good to see the Patriots get this win. Because as I've mentioned... I mentioned a bunch of times that the Patriots need to win the next two of three games, starting with the Jets, Chargers, and then finishing with the Panthers before you know the Browns come into town. And I thought the Chargers were going to be the most challenging opponent out of those three, Jets, Chargers, Panthers. But they were able to beat them. So now if you can beat the Panthers here and prove to over 500 for the first time this year, 5-4, and four, now we can get some juice. We can get the wheels spinning a little bit, right? Let's take a look at the AFC wildcard standings. I should have had this brought up, but I did not. Um, da, 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 ba, 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 ba. All right, Tennessee is 6-2, and two, the f- one seed in the conference. However, they're potentially losing Derrick Henry to a season-ending injury. And then if you just go down the league, you know, Buffalo's 5-2, and two, Baltimore's 5-2, and two, Raiders are 5-2, and two, Bengals 5-3, and three, terrible loss to the Jets, by the way. Pittsburgh's four and three. Chargers just beat a four and three, so it's good to have that tiebreaker because you, Cleveland, and Denver are right on the outside at four and four apiece. Right on the outside. Patriots are four and one in the conference, which is really good. Obviously, they have two wins against the Jets, one against the Texans, but now you have a legitimate win against the Chargers, which a lot of people were questioning last week's win against the Jets because it's the Jets. It's the Jets. You dropped 54, but it's the Jets. So, okay, fair enough. But now you were able to go out and actually get a legitimate win against a legitimate American football conference team in the Los Angeles Chargers. Obviously, you moved to 5-4. and four, You got to wait for things to happen in the conference. But like I mentioned before, this conference is good. You have plenty of teams at or above 500. The Chiefs are 3-4 and four right behind you. Colts are 3-5 and five right behind them. Outside looking in, but still, a lot of people have had hope for the Colts. Kansas City, as on and off as they've been all year, I don't, I'm not ready to call it quits on counting out the Chiefs and Patrick Mahomes this year. I'm not. I'm not. Because, yeah, the Raiders are 5-2, and two, and I think they're a legitimate team this year. I'm just not ready to you know call that division theirs. I'm not. I do like what the Patriots are doing. You know, obviously, again, those two wins, absolutely crucial. Keep going. Keep going. Get me another win against the Panthers next week. Improve to 5-4. and four. Maybe the Steelers will lose. They'll go to 4-4, four and four, and then you'll be 5-4 and four, vaulting them in the conference. Or maybe the same thing will happen to the Chargers, where they'll go 4-4, four and four, lose at Philly, and you'll win, and you'll vault them. And now you're in the playoff picture. Getting to 500 for the Patriots was immensely crucial. It was completely important because if you lost that game and you go 
uh, three and five. Well, now it's you're no better than the Chiefs. You're no better than the the Colts. You just took a massive step back after winning against the Jets the week before, almost beating the Cowboys the week prior. So every game at this point obviously is important because you're already four losses in the book. You got the Panthers coming up on Sunday, which I believe you can win. I think you should win. Then you got the Browns after that on November 14th. I know Baker Mayfield did play this week, but you still have to question his health and the health of the entirety uh, of the Browns' offense, for that matter. I don't think that game is as much of a loss as I may have thought it was at the beginning of the year. So that's going to be a good game. Then you have Atlanta in Atlanta. Uh, what is that? Is that a Thursday night game? Yeah, that is a Thursday night game. Patriots-Falcons Thursday night in ATL. That's going to be a good game, but a winnable game. An absolutely winnable game. And then as we get to the end of November, Titans-Patriots, that's going to be an interesting game because obviously Derrick Henry's health will be determined by then. He is potentially out for the rest of the season with a foot injury, I believe. Obviously, you know that team has Julio Jones, A.J. Brown, Ryan Tannehill. They have other playmakers. But not having Derrick Henry to kind of round out that offense is going to be a massive blow. So could that Titans game be more winnable than we thought. And then obviously you got the Bills first week in December, but let's not get there. Let's not get there. Let's focus about you know what's in, in front of us here in November. I like where the Patriots are at right now. They battled adversity. They fought back. They are in a season-shifting position now at 500. You know, they can go on a, say, a three, four-game win streak. Now we're a little over 500. Now we're in the playoff picture, contending. These are all things that we can say now at now that they're 4-4 four and four looking at the schedule and how everyone else, how all the other teams have panned out through eight weeks. These are things you can say. However, if they were 3-5, uh, and five, these things that we can't say because we got to win against the Panthers, then we got to beat the Browns to get to 500, to be 5-5, five and five, but now we're already at week 10, only seven weeks left. I'm sorry, eight weeks left, seven games left because of the bye week. 5-5, five and five, where's everyone else going to be? I mean, if you look at Titans already have six wins, Vegas already has five, uh, Baltimore, Buffalo, Cincinnati, they're all already at five. If the Chargers were to have beaten you, they would be 5-2 and two as well right now. So being 4-4 four and four is so much more important than being 3-5, and five, and that cannot be overlooked at all because as much of a reaching possibility as it is, the Patriots can still make the playoffs. They can. I think that the Panthers is a winnable game. The Browns is a winnable game. Falcons is a winnable game. I would say looking at those three games, they should be able to win all three of them. But I'll take at least two of them. Titans, that has become a winnable game. The Bills, that's going to be a questionable game. The Colts, you can win that game. Bills again, we'll see. Jags should be a winnable game. And then the Dolphins, you should be able to win that game. So there's a lot of games that the Patriots can and should win moving forward the rest of the season. But you can't get caught up in you know the Bills in Week 15 or Week 16, whatever the hell week it is. Let's just focus on the Panthers right now. Maybe think about the Browns, but let's just get through. Improve to 5-4. and four, Take that momentum 
go to six and four, take that momentum and keep going and going. You have a young quarterback who's learning on the fly. He didn't have the luxury to sit out a year, learn from experienced veteran quarterback like Mahomes did with Alex Smith or what Herbert was going to do with Tyrod Taylor. He got vaulted in because the whole lung puncture and that Tyrod Taylor suffered with the trainer stabbing him essentially. But I think he's doing a great job, Mac Jones. Like I mentioned uh, at the beginning when I was talking about the Patriots, he didn't lose you the game. He didn't put you in losing positions. He didn't win you the game. But he put you in winning positions. And honestly, right now, being a game manager is all you can ask for for Mac Jones. That's all you should expect. And anything better than game managing is incredible. Like the first week against the Dolphins. Mac Jones was marching the Patriots down the field. Damian Harris fumbles. Mac Jones puts you in a game-winning position against the Buccaneers. Took the ball with under two minutes or whatever it was. Put you in a game-winning position to kick that field goal. Folk missed the field goal, but still, he put you in that position to win the game. Or at least take the lead, right? I mean, Brady still would have had like 45 seconds. So, Patriots-Texans. Mac Jones marches down the field to get a go-ahead, you know, field goal. But before that, Patriots were down like 22 to nine or whatever it was. Helped you come back and win that game. Back and forth game against the Cowboys. You were winning. You were losing. You were winning. You were losing. It was tied. You were winning. You were losing. I mean, that game's on the defense. But Mac Jones still, you know, possession for possession, pound for pound with the Cowboys, kept putting you in position to take the lead, uh, to tie the game, et cetera, et cetera. And obviously, again, with the Chargers game, he was able to do that. So I know I made the video, you know, the Mac Jones sucks video to try to, you know, you know, quiet down all the haters. But Mac Jones legitimately does not suck. He's performing way better than all the other rookie quarterbacks from this class. He is. I mean, Fields had a nice day. He's looking better. I do think because Matt Nagy wasn't there, to be honest. But honestly, Mac Jones is performing very well. All things considered. No legitimate wide receivers. The tight ends are good. They're supposed to be great. The running game has been very inconsistent. The offensive line has been dinged up. Your schedule could have been tougher than we expected. Yeah, I do. I think so. I mean, I think that Saints game was a tough one. The Buccaneers was a tough one. Texans was a tough one, but it shouldn't have been. Cowboys, tough one, obviously. And then this Chargers game was a really good one. I like where the Patriots are going. I'm in a much better mood now that they're four and four than they were when they were two and four, three and four, or if they were three and five. There's a lot of hope right now for the Patriots. A lot of optimism in Foxborough in New England. And let's ride the wave. Let's ride this wave. Let's use this momentum to go into Carolina and beat a struggling Panthers team. And with that, speaking of the Panthers, let's pivot to the NFL where we can talk about some scores. Packers beat the Cardinals, the remaining undefeated team, 24-21, as we known on Thursday Night Football. But speaking about the Panthers, they defeated the Falcons 19-13 in Atlanta. I believe I picked Carolina to win. I don't remember, to be honest. I don't remember. It was on Friday. It was during the live stream. I forget. Titans beat the Colts 34-31 in overtime. 
I did pick the the Titans to win that game. Bills defeated the Dolphins 26 to 21. I'm sorry, 26 to 11, excuse me. Jets beat the Bengals 34-31. I thought that was going to be a cakewalk for the Bengals. It was not. It was the farthest thing from it as they suffer a crucial loss as now they are no longer leading the AFC or the AFC North. Steelers beat the Browns 15 to 10. Seemed like a baseball score in a way. Eagles decimated the Lions 44 to 6. Rams beat the Texans 38-22. That game was a little close for a long time. Didn't like that. 49ers beat the Bears 33-22. I picked the Bears in that one because of Justin Fields, and I think that would have been a nice little win. But no, 49ers still trying to prove themselves as a playoff contending team, and they do so at Soldier Field. Patriots defeated the Chargers 27-24. That was already discussed. Seahawks beat the Jaguars 31-7. Really good game without... Uh, Russell Wilson, obviously, letting the offense and the defense have a really good day. Good for the Seahawks to maintain their competitive nature in the NFC picture, even though it is a far, far outlook looking in. Saints beat the Buccaneers 36-27. to Honestly, I did not expect that, especially with Jameis Winston going out of the game with a knee injury. Hopefully he's okay. But Trevor Simeon stepping up. Being a game manager, but also putting the Saints in position to win that game. Unbelievable. Buccaneers were down with 21-3 at one point, or 24-3, something like that at one point. Little too much, little too late. Saints do get the win in the t- in both of their, what am I trying to say, in the team's first matchup of the season. There we go. Washington football team fell to the Denver Broncos in the Mile High City, 17-10. Football team's just not having a good year. I think it's just time for them to pack it in. Cowboys beat the Vikings 20-16. to And then, obviously, we have the Giants visiting the Chiefs on Monday Night Football. Why do we need that game on Monday Night Football? I don't know. I would have rather have had the Buccaneers-Saints be a Monday Night Football game or the Chargers-Patriots be a Monday Night Football game or the Steelers-Browns, Dolphins-Bills. Uh, Titans Colts like I'd rather all that be my I, I don't need why is an interconference game on Monday Night Football like I understand you're, you're the Chiefs and all that the defending AFC champions obviously the schedule is made way in advance obviously the good teams are going to have primetime games I get that but on the other coin on the other side of the coin good teams have primetime games so why are the Giants playing the Chiefs like I hate how they schedule it they'll do Interconference, interdivision games on Thursday night football. Like I know that they'll have some conference games or same division games from Thursday night football or Monday night football. Excuse me. Oh, but it's annoying. Let's go all the way back. Week one: Buccaneers, uh, Cowboys. Obviously, opening the season a little bit of a different story. Ravens, Raiders. Monday night. Do I really need that? Nah. I mean, Raiders weren't supposed to be good, and now they are kind of good. So it worked out, but Giants-Washington, okay, conference uh, interdivision. Lions-Packers, Monday, like that. Panthers-Texans on Thursday, didn't need that. Let's see, let's see, let's see. Uh, Eagles-Cowboys on Monday, sure. Jaguars-Bengals, matchup of two number one picks, quarterbacks, okay, fine. But Raiders Chargers, I'll take that because that's the you know, AFC West. Rams Seahawks, I'll take that. Colts Ravens, 
Eh. Buccaneers, Eagles, didn't need that. Bills, Titans, good potential playoff matchup. Okay, fine. Broncos, Browns, didn't need that. Saints, Seahawks, good potential playoff matchup. Obviously, you know, no Wilson, but, you know, we didn't know that when making the schedule, right? So, okay, fine. Packers, Cardinals, I don't think people expected the Cardinals to be undefeated or have a winning record. I think this was kind of like a throw-in game, kind of like a Ravens-Raiders kind of a game where we know the Packers are going to be good, like we know the Ravens are going to be good. But I don't think people expected the Cardinals or the Raiders to be good, so they kind of just like, hey, throw them on Thursday. But it ended up being a great game. Don't get me wrong. I'm not complaining, but I just – I think at the beginning of the season, that's a game that we didn't need. Giants, Chiefs, we don't need that. Jets, Colts, don't need that. Bears, Steelers on Monday, don't need that. Week 10, Ravens, Dolphins, don't need that. Rams, 49ers, Week 10, Monday Night Football, absolutely. Week 11, Patriots, Falcons, Thursday night. Eh, rematch of Super Bowl 51 is the only excuse. Giants, Buccaneers on Monday Night Football, don't need that. Bears, Lions, sure. Seahawks, football team, no. Cowboys, Saints, potential playoff matchup, sure. Patriots, Bills on Monday Night Football, yes. Steelers, Vikings, Thursday, no. Rams, Cardinals on Monday night, sure. Chiefs, Chargers, sure. Uh, actually, yeah, I know. Inner, inner, same division. Vikings, Bears, yes. 49ers, Titans, no. Dolphins, Saints on Monday, no. Giants, Bears, eh, no. Uh, Browns, Steelers, Monday night, sure. Washington football team against the Giants on Thursday, I, I guess. Oh, wait, no, no, Thursday night. That's, there's no more Thursday. There's no more Thursday. Week 18, 17. And I just lied to you for a couple weeks. Uh, Christmas, it's going to be a little wonky. Okay, so week 16, 49ers, Titans is the last Thursday night game. So there's plenty of games that I was like, yeah, sure, makes sense. And there's plenty of games that were like, no, this makes absolutely no sense. But I'm going to stop talking about Thursday night and Monday night football games because you know, let's just talk about the Bruins. All right, let's just talk about the Bruins. Bruins took a tough loss against the Florida Panthers, 4-1 to on Wednesday. Then another tough loss, getting shut out 3-0 to the Hurricanes. But they were able to beat the Panthers 3-2 to in shootout in Boston on Saturday. Good win. Good win. Bruins are going to be off for a couple days. They don't play again until uh, November 4th, which is a Thursday, where they welcome in the Red Wings into town. Bruins right now, it's early. Seven games in. It's tough. It's tough right now, all right? You know, you have a lot of new pieces, and a lot of new faces on this team trying to figure out, you know, obviously their role, how they can contribute, what they need to do, what they can't do maybe. So, I mean, 4-3 and three early in the season, I'll take it, sure. The one thing I don't like about this team is the goals for and goals against. Now, I understand you have Swayman, young guy. You have Allmark, relatively young guy who has never been in a position where he's going to be playing meaningful hockey games because he was in Buffalo for the first part of his career. I'm just trying to trying to move in, get closer to the microphone. A little chilly. And um That's the only thing I wish they would improve on. I mean, four and three, eight points, I'll take it for now. Obviously this time in a couple weeks I'd like to you know, maybe fifteen games, I'd like to see a little bit of better disparity in the win to loss record. No overtime losses yet or shootout losses yet for the Bruins. But looking at the division, the Atlantic division, the Panthers 8-0-1, Sabres 5-2-1, Red Wings 4-3-2. Are these teams that we expected to be at the top of the division? No. We obviously expect the Panthers to take a step up from last year. 
but I definitely wasn't going to say start the year 8 and 0 undefeated and then, you know, have an overtime loss. So you're still technically undefeated. So I didn't expect that at all. Sabres, no one saw this coming. I mean, it was a dumpster fire for the team for the past few years. Now, again, again, it's still early. Things could easily change. I mean, the Bruins are 4 and 3 right now. The Red Wings are 4-3 and 2. So, I mean, the only thing separating them is just one Bruins win. Simple as that. So, things are still early. You got to look at it as, you know, like I said in football, good teams are going to start cold or hot. Bad teams are going to start cold or hot. Hockey, basketball, you got to wait for like 20, 20 games in to really get a good idea, you know, first quarter of the season to get the idea of who's going to be good, who's potentially legitimate. Obviously, things can still change, especially when it comes down to points. So a loss in overtime isn't actually a real loss. You still get one point. And at the end of the day, when points are what are king in hockey, you'll take all the overtime losses you can get and compared to a regulation loss. Simple as that. I like where the Bruins are at right now. Like I said, the only thing I would change is the goal difference. I wish they could work on that and just tighten up a little bit on defense. But overall, it's still early. I think they're playing really good hockey. They're passing the puck around. You know, They're not scoring as much as I thought they would, having only 18 goals for in the first seven games. I mean, it's the lowest total in the division. I mean, even the Canadians have 19 goals for. The Senators have 19 goals for. And both of them are at the bottom of the barrel, especially the Canadians. They're at 2-8. and eight. Senators, 3-4. and four. So, I mean, those two teams have more goals than you. Like I said, you're the lowest scoring team in the division. I don't think that should be taken lightly because, obviously, how do you win hockey games? You score goals. And you stop goals from going into your net. You stop pucks going into your net, hence goals against. It's hard for me to get too, too, you know, too, too picky and, and too this on, on the Bruins. It's still early. Like I said, I want to wait for 20 games in to really, to really have my take and opinion on this team. I think they're going to be in the thick of things. I think they'll be a top-four team in the division. It's early. You know, Sabres catching, you know, a lot of wind early. Red Wings are hot early. Panthers are super hot early. Are all of this going to stay consistent for the rest of the season? I don't know. I mean, look at the Lightning. They're 4-3-1. and one. They're struggling out of the gate. Maple Leafs 4-4-1. Four, four, and one. It's just early. Like I said, good teams start cold and hot. Bad teams start cold and hot. But let's just take a quick look at the Bruins' upcoming schedule. I already mentioned that November 4th on Thursday is when the Red Wings will come into town to play the Bruins at the TD Garden. Then Saturday the 6th, the Bruins go up to Toronto for the first time in, like, forever. In the first time in forever. Uh, Bruins will be playing the Maple Leafs north of the border. Then they welcome the Ottawa Senators on Tuesday, next Tuesday the 9th. So a couple good games coming up. Obviously, Red Wings are playing well. Can you play better? Can you win that game? That'd be a nice little matchup right there to win. Maple Leafs currently better than you, but how much better are they really than you, if any at all, except for a point or two here in the standings? Senators, they suck. You know, make sure that you win that game. So next three games, I think are must-win games to the Bruins just to really set the tempo early because you don't want to fall back too much in the standings although it's still early because then if these other teams do 
come out to be legitimate playoff contenders and hopefuls, it's just going to make your uphill battle all that much harder. And I don't want to see that again last year because the Bruins fought last year very, very hard. You know, they were like the one seed, then they fell out to the four, the five. They were kind of on that bubble, and then they, you know, eventually got the three. So Bruins got a string, uh, like a winning streak together here. You know, they can get that going. I, They would easily vault up in the standings since it's so early. I mean, if they win the next three games, that's six points. That puts them at 14. That'll put them ahead of the Sabres for number two obviously considering the Sabres not winning themselves, but you get what I'm saying. So let's switch over to the Celtics here, the other team that plays at the Boston Garden. And I just got on my phone from ESPN 12 minutes ago that Celtics pick up fourth-year option on guard Romeo Lankford for 2022-2023. So obviously, good to see Romeo Lankford going to be around for another year. I think that the Celtics love him. They want him to be a a scorer off the bench, a plug-and-play spot starter. I completely agree. I think he has a little bit more potential than that. But when you have Jalen Brown, Jason Tatum, Schroeder's been playing nice, obviously Marcus Smart, it can be tough to be a scorer in, in the rotation, in the starting rotation. Hence why I would like to see Marcus Smart you know, come off the bench more and be a scorer off the bench. Because he can be able to score more, have more opportunities when Brown and Tatum are on the bench instead of taking shots away from them in their starting rotation. So just a little nugget right there about Romeo Langford and, you know, that. But the past couple games for the Celtics, ugh, not looking good. Um, yeah, fly. Hate flies. Wizards beat the Celtics 116-107 on Wednesday the 27th, and then the other home-and-home home game, overtime loss 115-112 to 112 in D.C. Unlike in hockey, there are no points. There's no overtime losses in basketball. So a loss is a loss, whether it's in regulation or overtime. Taking two losses against the Wizards doesn't look good, but... When you take a quick peek at the standings, and the Wizards are five and one, obviously two games against you, but three and one entering that series, you're like, wait a second, this can't be for real. Is this team really that good this year? I don't think the Wizards are going to be good this year. I really don't. But when they're sitting five and one, way ahead of you compared to your two and four, you're like, you just got to shut up. Same thing with hockey. I know it's early. I know it's early, but. You can't, you know, I mean, there's, there's, those are two games right there that could go to a tiebreaker that you don't have in your back pocket. Now, I'd like to think that it doesn't come to it, but, it, you know, down the season when this, you know, the records kind of start to play themselves out, tiebreakers can become important. Celtics are playing the Bulls today at the Garden, 7.30 tip-off. Got to win it. I mean, the Bulls are ahead of you by a mile as they're also 5-1. and one. But you can't go to two and five. And then when you're gonna play the Magic, you're gonna lose that game. And then you're gonna play the Heat. I mean the Magic are one six, so that should be a win. But you got the Heat, they're five and one right now. You're gonna lose that game too. Like you gotta start winning games against teams that you should beat and teams that are better than you. Which encompasses a lot. But you know what I'm saying. Win these games now because it's so early in the season. You gotta get some momentum because you can't go three and six or three and seven. And now it's just like, oh, we're 10 games in. 
we're you know digging ourselves a hole. There's a lot of hopes and expectations this year for the Celtics. A lot of people think that the conference is wide open. The Knicks are playing well. The Heat are playing well. The Wizards and the Bulls are all playing well. The Hornets are playing well. 76ers, they're playing okay. They're 4-2. and two, But they still got some problems. The Raptors are 4-3. and three, The Nets are 4-3. and three, The Hawks are 3-3. and three, The Bucks are 3-4. and four, So it's like your good teams from last year are struggling. And then some teams that were, you know, Potent or Cinderella stories or underperformed last year are now playing well this year. I mean, look at the Knicks. They played great last year, Cinderella story, but now they're the one seed. Right? The Heat struggled last year a little bit, but hey, now they're, you know, five and one. Wizards, same thing. The Bulls, the same thing. The Hornets, same thing. You know? Look at the 76ers. They're struggling. The Nets are struggling. The Hawks, the Bucks are struggling. The Celtics are struggling. Has the conference just flipped on its head? And all the bad teams are now good, and all the good teams are bad. I hope so, just for the sake of uh, diversity in the NBA. But looking at the the Western Conference, I mean, Jazz are good, Warriors are good, Nuggets are good, Mavs are good, Timberwolves three and two and three and two. We'll just take it with a grain of salt here. Lakers are good, you know, the Kings are three and three, so take it with a grain of salt. But the Suns are struggling. The Clippers are struggling. Not so much flip-flop there in the Western Conference. It's early. That's all I can say. You know, you got to wait for the 20 games. I'm telling you, 20 games is when you can start to look at it, whether teams seriously or as a joke. But that's going to wrap it up for my – actually, no, I do want to talk one more thing about the Celtics, and that's the whole Jalen Brown and COVID situation. So Jalen Brown tested positive on October 8th. And I believe he, yeah, he was able to play the uh, the opener against New York on the 20th. However, a few games into the season, it's giving him a lot more fatigue. It's affecting him, you know, post-game a lot differently. Kind of like what Tatum had last year, I believe. Uh, this is from Tim Bontemps of ESPN. He came out with this article on October 29th, so just the other day. Uh, I'm not going to read the whole thing, but I just want to kind of read the quote that Brown had. Uh, Boston Celtics star Jalen Brown said that he's still feeling the after effects of COVID-19, saying at times he feels like he's played three games in one. Quote, I think so, Brown said after Boston's practice when he was asked if he's still recovering from COVID-19, for which he tested earlier this month. Quote, I've noticed in the last couple of days, what, four games for me now? My body hasn't recovered the same in a sense. I'm talking to our medical staff about that. And then in a separate quote, he said, like, I feel great. And then it feels like instead of playing one game, it kind of feels like I played three. I'm used to my body responding and recovering a lot faster. I know I just turned 25, but this can't be what it looks like on the other side. So a little joke right there. Funny, funny. Ha, ha, ha. It, COVID affects people differently. It does. I mean, a lot of people suffer fatigue. Some people have no symptoms. A lot of people have this. A lot of people have that. It takes people weeks, months to fully recover from COVID. Some people don't get symptoms at all. Maybe they recover in a few days. COVID's not just one of those things where you can pinpoint, all right, this is how it is. You can suggest it. You can, you know, do research upon it. Sure. I mean, just like having like a cold or being sick. There's a gazillion different types of colds and sicknesses out there. Not one is the same. No, no two one. Wait, what? what? What's the saying? No two forms of cold sickness, the same, whatever the expression is. 
and I, I think COVID obviously has its different shapes and forms and sizes and, and all that. But when it comes to humans and affecting humans, it don't see color, don't see race. It doesn't see body type, you know, whatever it may be, ethnicity, you know, nothing. It's going to affect you and it's going to affect everybody differently. But I don't want to go on too much of a COVID uh, rant or tangent. Yeah, there we go. Tangent. But hopefully Jalen Brown can overcome this because the Celtics' success is going to be on the heels of him and Tatum and the rest of the team playing as a cohesive unit. But if Brown can't perform, then are the Celtics going to have to pack in the season? Sure as hell hope not. It's kind of why I want the Celtics to make a big splash. Tatum, yo, jokingly and said that he's been trying to actively recruit um, Bradley Beal. Obviously, that's you know against the tampering rules, but he said it in a joking way that he's talked about and he likes the idea. That's not really tampering. But yes, that's going to wrap it up for today's episode. We talked about a lot. Obviously, rest in peace to Jerry Remy, the Rem Dog. We talked about the Patriots. We, you know, we took a trip around the NFL, the Bruins, the Celtics. You heard all of my thoughts. All of my opinions. But I want to hear yours. Reach out to me on social media at Merce Cartown. Or if you're watching this on YouTube, please leave a comment down in the comment section below. Your thoughts, questions, comments, concerns, opinions, anything you want to discuss, debate, or argue about. Leave that all down in the comment section below if you're watching on YouTube. And like I said, reach out to me on social media at Murph's Cartown. Also, if you're listening on audio-only platforms, I appreciate every single one of you for downloading, listening, and enjoying Murph's Boston Sports Talk. I greatly appreciate the love and support. And also, if you're watching this on YouTube, thank you so much for liking the video if you did enjoy today's episode. Commenting down in the description below, like I already mentioned. And also, subscribing to the channel if you're new or haven't considered subscribing, as I would greatly appreciate you subscribing, as that is the best way to show support for the podcast, for the shop, the channel, all that and more. That is going to wrap it up for today's episode. I got nothing else to say. We'll talk about, you know, Sunday slate of games on Friday for episode 102. I got to get used to that. 100. We're over 100 now. Sheesh. Got to get used to that. But that's going to do it for me, guys. I will catch you in the next one. But between now and then, you guys know that I love you. And I will always, always, always. See ya. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Corient. Corient provides wealth management services centered around you. They focus on exceeding your expectations and simplifying your life. Corient has been helping high achievers just like you enjoy their lives more fully, preserve their wealth, and provide for the people, causes, and communities they care about. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Corient has deeply experienced teams in 23 strategic locations. Corient has extensive knowledge spanning the full spectrum of planning, investing, lending, and money management disciplines. Leverage Corient's exclusive network of experts to craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex they may be. Real wealth requires real solutions. 
For more information, connect with a wealth advisor today at Corient.com. That's C-O-R-I-E-N-T.com. Corient.com.